midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. Hey, welcome, groundlings. Welcome to Middle Ground. I'm Chris Otto. And I'm Chris Kelsch. This is Middle Ground Midwest, Midlife, Midwestern, in the middle of everything. What'd you do this weekend? Nina and I went to New Buffalo, and we stayed in a bed and breakfast. Have you ever stayed in a bed and breakfast? No, but I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to have breakfast in bed. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, though. You don't have breakfast in bed. And I've stayed at some before, but this was her first time. And... You know, you obviously get a really nice room. It's it's in a house. Um, and this was great because the, the people, and a shout out to the, it was the Goldberry Bed and, Goldberry Woods, Goldberry Woods Bed and Breakfast in Union Pier, Michigan. And um, they have a huge piece of property. I don't know, 35, 40 acres. So they have Tell a- Tell me, it's on the, is it on the lake or downtown? Uh, or where is it? It's a few blocks from the lake. So we were able to ride our bikes to the beach. Nice. Um, but- uh, they have a huge house with like I don't know I think they're like eight rooms and then they have a separate house that they live in so they don't, they're not in the same house as the guests which is kind of nice but um and nice for them I'm sure but so you have a really great room and we had this you know vaulted ceilings and uh, it was very cool but the breakfast part is that you're ex- you're kind of expected to come down and have breakfast with all the other guests in the house the next morning so and that means you have to socialize <laughs> and it's it, you know i mean the, the best part about staying in a hotel right for a weekend is you can be completely anonymous yeah you can't do that at, at a bed and breakfast oh my god it makes yeah. me not want to do it i'll no. take a room with the holidays or a holiday Inn express up there i'll and, take that well there, oh the, my god the, there were but we just this place was really highly rated on TripAdvisor, which i trust all the time but it was it was really great, but it, actually, funny story about this. So, there was a one of the suites had a bachelorette party staying in it. Um, four girls, four women, a bride and her three friends or whatever, and they were there just you know drinking wine and having a great old time. So, uh, the first night we didn't get to hang out with them. They went to bed too early and crashed. But the second night, they insisted on us. You know, come on, you guys, we're going to be up and we're going to be in the in the main room or whatever, and we're going to be playing games and. So Nina and I got home from dinner, and we're pretty liquored up, you know, lots of wine, lots of beer. A lot of great wineries and breweries in that part of Michigan now. Seriously. Southwest part of Michigan, I know, the yeah. wineries. It's crazy. I, I mean, I forget, the, forget the auto industry. It's beer and wine in Michigan now. Absolutely. Um, it's like the Carmel of the Midwest. <laughs> well, let's, yeah, let's not go that far. But um, so we come home, and these girls are, sure enough, they're drinking, and they're making s'mores, right? It was too cold to have a fire outside, so they have this this little- um, With a bachelorette party? Yeah. So they're making s'mores with this little, what are those little burners inside, like caterers use to keep things warm? little blue flame butane or yeah you know, I, I don't know little... i go as far as that waffle thingy the waffle iron that's all i know <laughs> no so they're roasting marshmallows <laughs> over this little butane can you know i forget what those things are called uh and making s'mores and they're playing a game and they said oh come and we were like oh no we don't want to interrupt you guys fun there no no come on and come in so we, <laughs> we sat down so it's the three of them the, the bride was hidden away in the bedroom it's the three of these women nina and me and they have a whole bunch of jars of play-doh and they're like, okay, uh, the game we're going to play is all of us girls are going to make a penis out of Play-Doh. And they're all different. You know, each one has a different color. And then the bride has to pick which one she likes best. 
and and then the girl the whichever girl made it is the winner and you know blah 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 so i felt really uncomfortable and out of it and didn't want to participate nina jumped in right away grabbed some play-doh and started playing making a penis penis yeah penis dough <laughs> so what would you do if you're the oh, only you got to you got to play yeah, yeah well, in there but play. what would you do as far as would what I did, I think, what I thought was the only sensible thing, and I made a vagina. <laughs> no, you got to make a penis, dude. <laughs> no, 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 because the winner then gets to, you know, do something with her penis. <laughs> so if you had won that thing, you would have had to have done something with the vag. <laughs> no, no, I just donated the Why vagina. do you go down these paths? Take the safe path. <laughs> Look, it was a bachelorette party. Jesus. I walked into it. I was an innocent bystander. I was just trying to help out. I'm going to brush up on your improv skills, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) How the heck did the bachelorette couples pick that place? Come on. Uh, Were they from southwest Michigan? They had to have been from that area. There's no way they were, like, from Chicago and they're going to do a bachelorette party in New Buffalo. No, they were. uh, Some of them were from Chicago. A couple of them came from from out of state. But, yeah, they put it this way. They were, like, in their mid-20s, and I think three of them were on their second marriage. Yeah, that is so Southwest Michigan. Yeah, and I'm frankly is... now, now that I told you that, I'm glad I didn't give them the name of the podcast, so they won't be listening. But yeah, it was it was interesting. Julie and Eric at Goldberry Woods, fantastic, and I highly, highly, highly recommend that place for a a fabulous weekend getaway in uh, in Union Pier, Michigan, right right on the lake, right on Lake Michigan, right on it was the lake. Cool. And above and beyond that, I smell a sitcom. So uh, sitcom yeah. coming in the fall. Good stuff the, there. The Newhart, the old Newhart. Newhart show. is that? the lead. Yeah, the bring it back the Daryls. So it should be good. By the way, your weekend stories still continue to blow mine away. Uh, this was the the week I didn't even know it till the last couple of days that Comcast has something called Watchathon. You see it advertised on TV, Xfinity, Comcast. It's like every six months they throw everything out there for free, and you basically binge watch yourself to death. Wow. So I was binge watching all weekend. And I'm so lame, I binge-watched all the stuff that I had already seen. I didn't Wait. even expand my palate a little bit. It's crazy. Wait, that's it? That's your weekend story? You watch TV, basically? <laughs> yeah, it's so lame. <laughs> but there was good stuff. Movies, what? too, Chris. You know I'm a movie guy, so lots wow. of good movies out there. Okay, Birdman. I hadn't seen Birdman. I loved it. And loved it. I freaking loved it, so I watched it like t- two times. Going yeah, no, that's a great year. movie. Michael Keaton was great in that movie. Ooh. So, hey, uh, one thing I wanted to touch base with you on, we lost Prince this weekend, man. That was a shocker. Your body, your mind, your fool. Come here, baby. Yeah. You sexy motherfucker. We're all alone in the villa on the Riviera. Got some friends on the south side in case you care. 57 years old? That's crazy. 57 years old. You know what I always liked about him, though? Um, he, the guy is one of those, you know, mega stars. Could have done anything. Could have been. I lo- always respected the fact that he continued to live in Minnesota. There's just something yes. about that that screams real to me. I don't know what it is. Normally, a guy like that would be in L.A. or New York or wherever, but not. Yep. Minnesota, you know what I mean? And I just kind of respect that. Always respected that about And him. not just lived there and you know behind the gates of some big estate or something where where he never never deals with the public, but he apparently invited the public into these dance parties weekly. 
right up until last week he had his last one. Yeah, was a member of the community, was seen, you know, riding his bike around and stuff like that. And um, I think he was putting on a $10 show for some charity gig or something like that. So there was a lot of stories of stuff like that. So that that fascinates me, man. I just, I don't, and if you've been to Minnesota, that just doesn't scream like an area where a guy like Prince would be from. But that's weird. But I always like that about him. Yeah, he. I mean, I've certainly learned more about him in the last couple of days than I ever knew before. Because he always seemed so mysterious and sort of like, a, yeah. you know, a, an introvert and withdrawn. But I had no idea he would go all across the country and just pop into clubs and bars and do these surprise shows. And uh, I didn't know he had these dance parties that he would invite people into the Paisley Park. I, I just. I mean, I have so much more admiration and respect for him now that I know all this stuff. And it. And it. It's yep. even even more of a tragedy. Uh, we lost more than that, Chris. Some minutes before we started casting, Billy Paul goes down. Uh, for those of you who remember the great soul singer of, of from Philadelphia, I want to say in the 70s, a little song called Me and Mrs. Jones. Me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. Was uh, a big hit. That was him. Great song. What a great song. Always sad to have the great talents leave us, especially when it's way too soon. And in Prince's case, 57 years old, way too soon. Uh, It's a great loss. Great loss. Yeah. Pushing on, moving forward. There you go, the Tinder theme. We need a Tinder update, my friend. What happened? We're all we're all waiting. We're all waiting on the All righty, guys. Uh, this is uh I should tell you this. This is going to be a real problem with me as I start to explore this world. You're a little bit more comfortable with it than I am, but when you meet these people on Tinder dates, uh, they don't look anything like their pictures. She's attractive enough, and there's no problem about it. You know, she was cool and everything. But she started telling me her nightmare dating stories. And uh, she's a successful salesperson here in Chicago and travels a lot. And she begins the date by telling me these stories of going out with guys uh, for about six months or so and finding out six months in that they're married Ooh. Have you heard of stuff like this before, Chris? Oh, yeah, Chris? it happens all the time. It does happen all the time, doesn't oh, yeah. it? And I'm sitting here in my sheltered little ivory tower thinking we live in some kind of a sane world when the, 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 the way that people treat each other is phenomenally bad. It's Look, awful. I'm going to say men in particular are douchebags, and I, I, don't, I don't apologize for saying that. I know I am one of them, and I've probably displayed my own douchebaggery many times, uh, a lot of the hundreds of times, but men are men are pigs. We're pigs. All right. I'm willing to accept all of that. I have no problem with you saying any of that. I think there's a lot of truth to it and the fact that you have partaken in that. And it just means you're self-aware. My question is this. Once you accept that mantra and, and in fact, live in it, and you just understand that this is the world we live in. This is where we're at right now. I'm sorry, but this is how it right. is. What does you, What do you become then like and you you you, okay you accepted that but then you got married and then you had a child and all those things are you still went down i mean i guess what i'm saying is i admire that you say well this is a shit world but i'm still going to move forward with this part of it but i i kind of admire the matter of factness of it and your ability to operate within it i really think being a man especially now in the internet age and all i mean 
porn and you know it's everything everything is everywhere right the distra- the right? distractions the options are everywhere the dick pics for- Dick pics and everything. Yeah, I mean, for men and women, right? I mean, you, you, Ash, Ashley right. Madison, their tagline we were just talking about the other day was- Life is short, have an affair. Life is short, have an affair. I mean, how cynical is that? But the, the point is, I think being a man in, in today's America is a constant battle between the evolved intelligence of a human being that can choose not to do stupid things- Versus the instinctual sex drive of the Homo sapien male that we are that Cave we are yeah, that we are slaves man. to. Yeah. So you can either be a douche and just go fuck everything that moves because that's what your hormones and your instincts tell you to do, or you can rise above it and be an intellectual and 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 moral and all of that stuff and make a decision to fight those urges. But the fact is, we all have those urges. Everybody does. I, I totally get that. I made the mistake some years ago of uh, trying to, to be intellectual and go above it and uh, and fight those things. I don't recommend it. I really don't. It leads nowhere. <laughs> it leads to binge watching while you're in a bed and breakfast across the lake. Well, you, you win. Know. <laughs> you're winning. <laughs> I, I guess I can't assume. I assume you've, you've had sex. In the yeah, last you few years? Okay, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, now that you're having sex actively, don't you look back to high school and think, I didn't say that. Uh, I no. said I've had some... <laughs> okay. You're assuming too, Chris. God, you're Sorry, assuming I don't, too much. You know, That's wanna... the caveman in you making all kinds of assumptions. Yeah, I don't want to make an ass out of you and me, right? That's what you do. <laughs> uh, but, no, no, you know, once you become sexually active, I remember when I first discovered it, I looked back to high school and I was like, what was I thinking? I should have just jumped on everything that would... That yes. breathed. But, yes. you know, back then, I think even in the 80s, it was still a little bit moralistic and puritanical. I, I remember everyone, or not everyone, but maybe it was just the people I hung out with saying, let's wait till we get married. Which, who says that now? Do you ever hear that anymore? Nobody no. waits till they get married. No, no one does. No one even no one even waits till they go on dates. Like apparently that used to be. Remember that? Like you asked if you liked someone and you really were physically attracted to them, you had to like ask them out on a date and then see if you like each other and then do that. You can skip that now. Did you know that? Your son told you this. You can skip that altogether. So wait, I want to get back to this. So where did you go? What did you do? Did you take her to dinner? Did you just meet for drinks? What'd you do? We uh we met in Bucktown, right around the corner from where I live. She was getting her nails done. Yeah. Uh, right down the street from a wonderful Argentinian restaurant. So I picked her up half a block away from the restaurant, and we just had a nice little walk over to... It was a chilly night, but it was really nice. Mm-hmm. And we walked over to the Argentinian place, had some wine, had... Uh, I forget what those things are called that the Argentinians serve, those little bread things that are really good, um, and just talk and talk for a while. And she told me about all her, her stuff, and she said, look, you know, I'm not looking for anything major actually to just start off with I'd like a friend to hang out with and blah 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 she told me all these stories I'm like all right that's cool so we're gonna hang out be buddies for a while see what that leads to and see where it goes so that's cool okay cool well that's that's a good first date yeah that's nice so yeah so it's cool so are you are you gonna have another date are you what's the status now I would say so are you are you texting are you in contact are you flirting back and forth really yes we are yeah we are are you uh, okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna just delve in a little bit here. How old is she? My age. She's late forties. Okay. Is she uh, been married before? Kids? No, no, not married. No kids. Okay. She's the aunt. She's the fun aunt type uh, okay. from Wisconsin. She's from Wisconsin. Does she have cats? Uh, no. Uh, 
God, we didn't go there yet. So oh, God, I was afraid we got to find no, that out. No, she's a dog person. She's a dog person. Okay, okay, okay. That's good. That's good. So do we uh, do we get to know her first name, or do you want to assign her a name so in the future, you know, we can refer to her by name? Her name is my name with a K. Oh, great. Another Chris? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. K-R-I-S. Oh, Christ. All right. <laughs> Chris, Chris, and Chris. All right. Yeah. Chris with a K. Well, well, hey, good luck, man. And I guess Thank uh, you. does that conclude the Tinder update? Should we close it? That's it. Close it out. Well, I'm glad we got that off our chest because I know a lot of people were waiting. And hey, actually, we should touch on this. Last week's episode with M, uh, title Putting the M in BDSM, uh, broke all middle ground records for listening and listenership and downloads. So thank you to everybody who wanted to check in on uh, on BDSM and find out what that was about. I hope it was I hope it was enjoyable because that was it was a fun one to do and it went crazy this week. It did, and uh, truth be known, can I share this with the with the audience, Chris? There was an internal debate among middle ground staff whether or not to air the episode. <laughs> there was uh, there was much discussion in the office. Uh, work basically shut down for a while while yeah. we had the discussion. There was a meeting. Yeah. There was a staff meeting. Yeah, uh, the interns stormed out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, we had some people quit. We had a couple yeah. people quit. And you know, frankly, uh, I think we weeded out the bad apples. I think that's yeah. that was that, what that was. A lot all of about. people don't have the stomach for this, Chris, and no, uh, we got true. to the bare bones. We're left with nothing but the most passionate people on our staff. So it all worked out well. You know what? Podcasting is not for the faint of heart. It can be ugly. It can be ugly at times. This is actually you and I were both really excited about. This, this is a good get for us. I think our next guest is uh, for the last few years has covered Michigan State Spartan basketball and football for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, he actually was a Michigan State student in the 90s, graduated from Michigan State, wrote for the State News, which is the student newspaper in East Lansing, uh, went on to, uh, I believe, sort of intern or you know do different jobs with the Lansing State Journal, the newspaper there in Lansing, uh, and then was hired as a beat reporter, got assigned to his alma mater, so kind of a dream job for a college kid to end up getting a job at a newspaper covering his own university's basketball and football team. So the reason we were so lucky to get him, he uh, he actually is le- has left. By the time you listen to this, folks, he will have left his post at the Detroit Free Press, and he's now a columnist at the Nashville Tennessean. So let's give a middle ground welcome to our new friend of the show, Joe Rexroad. So, hey, Joe, before we dive into stuff, though, so Chris and I both graduated in 90 from College of Communication Arts. What year were you? I was 99. 99? Wow, I thought, for some reason, I thought you were closer to uh, to our age. Well, I'm, I'm closer to your age, but that's because it, it took me a little extended time to actually get my degree. Ah, okay, okay, gotcha. Nice. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Michigan or mid-Michigan? I grew up all over the place i'm an army brat so i went to high school in virginia prince george virginia so how did you end up at michigan state well i I was originally i was born in battle creek and i you know a lot of my childhood was in michigan most of my family's in michigan and because my dad was in the army we were able to get in-state tuition in michigan because he's a michigan native so my like my dad went to western but uh 
and, and the, the journalism school is really good. So that's, that's really what it came down to. You're, you're a Michigan State alum, and you end up covering Michigan State football and basketball for a lot of years, a pile of Big Ten championships, a Rose Bowl championship, a uh, national championship in 2000. How do you leave your dream job, man? <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. You know, it's, and it's funny because people have asked that before, like, you know, covering your alma mater, you know, what's that like? That's got to be the, the best thing. There are times I will tell you that when something big happens, maybe it's something in a game, you know, maybe it's, you know, someone transfers or there's a big recruiter, whatever it is. And, you know, if you're just covering a beat, you cover the beat. If you cover your alma mater, all your buddies text you at once about it, you know. <laughs> right, right. So it is different, you know. And, and then, of course, there's the expectation. There's some people just think that, you know, you're just rooting for the team and it's your alma mater. And then there's people, you know, maybe who follow other teams who just assume that, you know, you're not professional because it's your alma mater. You know, there all those things that wouldn't come with a beat that's not your alma mater. But, um, you know, it, it's been an incredible ride covering Michigan State. And, you know, it has been a dream job. It is a dream job. Whoever gets yeah. this job, whether it's their alma mater or not, it's an incredible beat. I mean, covering Tom Izzo is there aren't many people out there you can cover anymore in this world like him. And uh, you're talking about two wildly successful programs, the best athletic director in the country. Um, so the reason to leave was the difference in job was probably the biggest thing. Yeah. There's just a huge difference between being a beat writer and a columnist. And I think that the way things are today with Twitter and with you know just the online demands and the way things are that the way things never end now there's never a break i really think covering a beat is kind of a young person's gig anymore right you mentioned that and i think that gets to the heart of how much this business has changed but you know you're on 24/7 now twitter there's no end to the news cycle so on and so forth social media does that add a tremendous amount of stress do you ever just wish you could take a day off and think about things and process things and just be by yourself and collect your thoughts and think big picture or are you constantly on and constantly burning energy like that yeah no i mean I think you you pretty much nailed it um you know because I mean, look, everybody likes different things. We all like like covering a big game or something like that. You know, breaking news. There's a, there's an excitement to breaking news to to um, discovering something and uh, you know informing your readers about it, things like that. But I love working on longer stories and in depth pieces that take time, projects, you know, multi day series, things like that. And those things were so much easier to do before Twitter came around, you know, yeah. I mean, they just were, um, you just, you could focus on things like that. And now it's like, it is, it's a constant distraction. I mean, I mean, you could, if you wanted to, you could just spend all day on Twitter and I, well, basically I have, and you know, you're just <laughs> responding to people. You're looking at it just, it's, it's such a time drain and it's necessary. And I think it's a good thing. Um, it's a great way to share information. It's a great way to set up your own news feed, but that and the whole, j just the whole emphasis on, okay, we need something fresh on the website. Now, you know, you go a couple hours and you feel like, you know, we need to get something new on there and get something new for people to look at. And of course in the old days, 
so to speak. It was, you know, you're thinking about the next day's paper and, and you're spending more time putting together your stories. You're writing way fewer stories, I mean, yeah. way fewer stories. So now you're writing so many 250, 300 word stories to get a headline up. And right. so that is frustrating for me. That combined with the tremendous amount of cutbacks and having to make do with less and so many changes that have gone on on the print side. I know it's more of a digital world we live in. Uh, does that make it more stressful? Do you spend time thinking about that or are you just so in the moment with the job you're doing? Overall, more stressful or I mean, sometimes demoralizing. I mean, yeah, it's been very tough being in this business. It's been very tough. You know, when I started out, I look back to now when I started and it's like, wow, we were printing money back then, weren't we? You know, <laughs> we these, the, you know, the Lansing State Journal newsroom was just this huge bustling place and so much experience there and so much talent. And look, all, across the country, across the world in newsrooms, I mean, there, there, there have obviously been tremendous cuts. It's well documented. Um, it's, uh, you know, you just you just can't make the money with the online product, or at least we haven't figured out how to, then you can with the print product. The print product is still a big part of the revenue stream, but um, so it's been very difficult. It's tough. Um, you know, newsrooms are very different. They're much smaller now. And I think uh, to a large extent, they're much younger as well. I know a lot of tremendous people who have gone into other things, uh, some by their choice, some not. And I mean, I've been lucky to keep a job and, you know, I guess you're sort of in your own little world when you're on a beat and when you're on a sports beat these days, I mean, that's maybe the safest place to be. Honestly. The appetite is insatiable uh, as I'm one of those people. And I know Chris is too. You're just hungry for it. 24 hours a day. It's you're getting these little things. Well, what did Izzo say today? What happened today? What happened today? I haven't heard anything in 25 minutes. So we're part of the problem. I guess we're part of the solution for you but we're part of the problem so well yeah but that's the thing like you are why we're safe because we drive the traffic i mean sports drives the traffic and if you're a beat writer who you know does a good job of covering a particular team then yeah you will have the numbers and people now i mean it's again it's just one of those things that didn't used to be part of the deal but now it's what are your numbers i mean you need to keep keep abreast of how you're doing online and you know what stories work, when stories work, um, th things like that. All these things in the last few years. Hey, I appreciate the uh, the readership, believe me. Take all that stuff away if you're on a beat. I mean, you do, you wake up every single day and there's a little bit of fear because the first thing you do when you wake up is you read all your competitors. That's what you do when you wake up. And you say, okay, what did they have? Now, again, in the old days, it's like you're going to find out everything's coming out in the next day's paper. Now it's a constant stream, so maybe something happened at 9 p.m. the night before, but it's still that feeling of, okay, what did this person have that I didn't have? And so that's always been part of it. Then you add on to that just the the constant um, demand for information. It's a fantastic job, I, 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 and I don't want to come off like I'm complaining, but it is hard at times, and and the things I love to do with it are harder to get to 
because of how things are. And I didn't realize this till I read your final farewell column, how hard your job is. I always, as an idiot, I'm thinking, oh, God, these guys must be great. They BS with the coaches all day long. I didn't realize that your relationship with Izzo has to be managed. You have to keep your distance. Sometimes you're a friend. Sometimes you're a reporter. Sometimes it's buddy-buddy. Sometimes you got to back off. That I did not realize was such a complex thing. Yeah, well, thanks. And, yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised. And, again, you know, I've had some other people who read that and said, wow, I mean, I had no idea that you and Izzo were essentially, you know, adversaries. And, like, well, you know, I'm wrote, I wrote about some of those intense moments. You're still talking, I don't know, 90% of the time everything was fine, cordial at least, if not hilarious. I mean, there were a lot of times when, yeah, you – you are sitting there BSing and having fun and joking around, and that's most times. It's just that when it when when things get hot, whatever they may be, hey, they get hot, and um, and you everybody can see Tom Izzo's intensity if you watch any Michigan State game, especially if you go to a game and you happen to sit anywhere near the bench, you know, you'll hear some very interesting things every single time out. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's how he goes about things. Um, it's just a, it's a fascinating contrast between a guy who's so engaging and amicable for the most part, but he's so intense. And, you know, it, it's a great learning experience because you really do have to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think when I was younger, I was just thinking of it more selfishly, like, man, why is this guy messing with me? I'm just trying to do my job. But then again, you think about it. Okay, what if you were being covered every day and being written about in the newspaper and, and on the Internet every day? How would you handle it? And I think that helps you, like you said, I think that you, you put it well. Man, you, you do have to manage it. You have to really think like the other person as much as you can. But you have to also just – you have to do the job, and there are times when there's just no way you're going to avoid conflict. I have to believe that a, there are a lot of people around the country who think you had it easy because you you arguably covered two of the nicest guys in college sports. I mean, Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo both people rave about what great people they are. As you know, in addition to being great coaches, but I, you know, I can't imagine what beat reporters went through with somebody like Bobby Knight or you know some of the coaches through the through the years who are just bastards <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobby Knight would have, yeah Bobby Knight would have been uh, a challenge <laughs> no doubt about that but you know with most people though it, there are just barriers up and you don't really get to the real stuff you know and yeah. that's even with you know with the Mark D'Antonio you're right Mark D'Antonio is is a tremendous human being and obviously he's a great coach but he's more traditional I guess modern traditional or really more football coach traditional too in terms of you know for the most part you know, had a few one-on-ones with him, you know, a joke here or there, but it's pretty much, you know, you've got your excess times and that's it. You know, I mean, that's right. it, that it was more like that. There was definitely a, a, a barrier and a lot less personal interaction. Again, Tom Izzo is like the, it's just the old school, just go into his, you know, go knock on his door or go. I mean, you can find him and track him down and ask him something, yeah. and that's so rare anymore. It really the is. The reputation he has, the national reputation, and I'm assuming local, is that he cannot say no to a request. True? I'm sure he has here or there. I mean, sometimes he, he, must, ha- he must have eight conflicts at once at the times, right? <laughs> I mean, you know? <laughs> 
But for the most part, yeah, I mean, that's true. And, and you hear stories from people about, I mean, I've heard these stories about uh, people who would just kind of take a stab and, and eventually, you know, get an interview with him. It may not be that day, but like eventually he will try to honor that. And, and I think that goes as well with, you know, people in need. I mean, look, I think, I think there's an obligation with, 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 uh, with these college programs, professional sports franchises to, you know, help people who are ailing and, and, and you know, certainly there are outreach programs and they do, and they all do that. But Tom Izzo goes beyond what you're supposed to do. And he, you know, goes yeah. out and really makes a personal connection with, I would bet, a lot more people than your average coach does. Yeah, well, and taking the team over to Flint a few weeks ago, that was a class move. Right. Know, especially in the middle of everything they were dealing with as a basketball team and, uh, you know, trying to win a championship, and we all know what happened to that. But, you know, I, because the three of us are Spartans, we could talk Izzo, D'Antonio, football, basketball for hours. But I want to get to a couple of issues I just want to get your thoughts on. And I know I've read some of your articles where – I can just tell you're cringing about the hype and the hysteria over every piece of news in college recruiting and what a 17-year-old kid is doing today. What's he thinking now? What's he going to do tomorrow? Just the attention that's given to these kids and, and the pressure on them. And I can tell through your writing, you think it's way over the top. What, where is college sports headed? Are these guys going to be paid in 10, 15, 20 years? Is college sports going to be the same? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, obviously... We're at a point where there's a there's a strong push for more compensation, and I and I fully agree with the idea that the platform that these guys have is so valuable. Not to mention the value of a free education, which so many people out there would you know love to have. Um, you know, but at the same time, you do have some, and I think it's a very small number, even within a revenue sport, most of these players on a football team, you know, they've got a heck of a deal. Mm-hmm. Here and there, you know, you've got these these difference-making players, and I've always, or for a long time, believed that the Olympic model in some form would, you know, first of all, it would take the, the it would take away the the colleges paying big salaries because look, the reason this money is tax free is because of the opportunities provided to other athletes and the scholarships. That's why they're able to retain nonprofit status. You start dipping into paying, you know, I mean, you're changing the whole model, but if you have athletes who can get their own endorsements, right? Because they're that good because they are star players and they're the ones who it's their Jersey being sold the number nine or whatever it is, all the kids wearing it. It's that athlete's Jersey, Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M builds a separate facility just to show off his Heisman trophy. See, that is, that's the difference. Uh, Now I know people argue against that and say, well, if you let that happen, now you're going to have, you know, boosters for this or that school, underwriting these huge contracts for athletes to try to recruit them. I still think there's ways that you can police all that too. But Then you have the, the culture of the football team, though, where you've got a Jan- Johnny Manziel as a college superstar and, and getting all the attention, but then you've got a third-string offensive guard who gets absolutely no attention. What does that do for the cohesiveness in the locker room? 
Well, that's true. But, I mean, the, the star quarterback still gets all the attention too, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, yeah. he's the guy who's on the cover of the magazine or whatever it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I that's think... not going to change. That's been that way since the beginning of time. The offensive okay. guard should have been a quarterback. That's the solution to that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody but wants see, the offensive guard, that's the guy I say, he's got a pretty good deal. So he's going to school for free. Um, he's got this platform. You know, if you're good enough to get on the field and, and – you know, if you're good enough to be a professional, well, they'll find that out. And, and it probably helps a lot that you're playing at a Michigan State or an Oklahoma or whatever it is. Um, but I guess to tie this all the way back to recruiting, yeah, it's uh, it, it is. I do cringe and it is um, uh, to me out of control. And you talk about, you know, the entitlement which I think can lead to a lot of other more serious problems as well in life. Um, It does bother me. And frankly, especially when it comes to football, I've just seen, like if you cover this stuff long enough, there's so many people that you wrote stories about who were expected to be great, who never did anything. And so many people you don't write stories about who, especially covering Michigan State, I mean, no one cared when Le'Veon Bell committed, right? No one cared when Darquez Denard committed. Right. Um, and it just – football especially, it's such an inexact science. and The attention and excitement and the um, – you know the the hysteria both ways. You know when the when the team gets the recruit or doesn't get the recruit is just – oh, it's, it's very tiresome. And, you know, frankly, if you want to talk about internet traffic, we should just cover recruiting. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm addicted yeah. to it, I, and I'm again, as I say, I'm the audience, and I'm the problem because I monitor twenty four seven. I was thinking about that. You about how how much attention is? Remember the Jeff Smoker years? Remember how he just kind of wigged out? Like he just started doing crazy stuff. I mean, I can, it surprises me more kids don't kind of melt down like that if you think about it. I mean, that's it's an interesting thing. A lot of pressure for a seventeen year old or an eighteen. Right, exactly. It is, but you know another thing. I guess I guess you could say it's a good thing. Imagine if the social media situation of now was in place back when Smoker was in college. A lot of that stuff oh, would man. have happened faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, even now you look at Johnny Manziel. We talked about him. I mean, you know, anytime he does something, it's somewhere. Someone has just taken a picture of it, and it's on Twitter in five minutes, right? Yeah. Right. I'm I mean, sure. so. I, it's almost – it is funny how um, – I guess that keeps people in check, but I also really feel bad for these kids too because um, – you, yeah, you don't have time to develop as a, as a person. Like you, if you're a kid and you go into the public eye at 16, 17 years old, you're, that's it, man. You're on 24 hours a day. Well, like you, you said, you know you, what I mean? Where you, do you grow yeah. and evolve? Well, you are on 24 hours a day if you fulfill your potential and people care. And you get, you know, half a million followers or whatever it is. But other That's than true. Other than that, I don't think anybody cares. Um, but, but you know, still, I mean, if you're affiliated with a team, you know, with Michigan, you still are sort of roped into the whole group. You know what I mean? And it's just, you know, I mean, I've got even, you know, like young cousins and it's, you know, they'll tweet something and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, I mean, I mean, you really need to take like, that shit down. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's like, man, I'm just really glad this was not around when I was 19, you know?
Well, I want to get back to uh, to something about Michigan State that has really fascinated me uh, because we're all kind of the same age, and Chris and I will both appreciate this. But Chris and I were there as students when it wasn't all that, when Judd Heathcote was the basketball coach. And we actually, when we were there, they played their games at Tiny Jenison Fieldhouse. And it wasn't this nationally recognized name. And Michigan was getting all the big name basketball recruits and the Fab Five was going on. And I remember when Tom Izzo got that job, how disappointed people were because they felt that it was one of the best jobs in the country as far as recruiting and garnering talent and all that stuff. So you kind of had a front row seat to seeing this university go from, I don't want to say off the map, because people always loved it, but not off the map, but kind of like being in the background a little bit to the forefront of being becoming a big time 24-7 college program, both in basketball and football, to say nothing of the fact that it was always big time in hockey. What was that like? Has it changed? Do these people change? Has the, the campus changed? Spirit of the place changed? Can you talk a little bit about how it's evolved? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Now, see, you guys, so you guys were class of 90, so you were there for at least really good Perlis years. I mean, when I got to school, that was the end of the Perlis era, which was you know not very pretty, and then the transition into Nick Saban. Um, but I, to me, the big change is – just at the top and just, you know, there was always something going on with the board of trustees. There was always some kind of conflict. It just never seemed like everyone's on the same page. And some people yeah. may think that's overrated, but I really don't at all. And I think if you look at what Michigan state's done, it's so much about that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's about, okay. Tom Izzo ends up being one of the greatest coaches ever. Well, no one knew that at the time, but that's what he is. That's what he became. It turns out that, you know, Judd Heathcote's instincts were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think finding, you know, Mark Hollis, guy who whose dream yeah. job was to be Michigan State Athletic Director, a guy who, you know, was a student manager in the mid eighties, knew the place, went out, went out and did his own thing, came back and figured a way to, you know, Mark Hollis gets most attention for his ideas. And obviously he's very creative. He's come up with some, some, you know, magnificent and very important ideas. But to me, you know, I still remember the very first day, the the day John L was fired and I got Hollis on the phone and I was just trying to, you know, be a reporter and just get every bit of information I could about this search. And I remember him saying, what do you think about Mark D'Antonio? That was the first day he knew already who his guy was. Of course I was too stupid to realize you know, until weeks later that that he was a guy because it was so quiet on the D'Antonio front. He wouldn't talk to them until it was over at Cincinnati. But his ability to identify people is obviously just incredibly valuable. And it just, some people don't – or most people don't have that. But then Luanna Simon as president, I think that she's a perfect mix of valuing sports, understanding sports, being there for sports, but, but also – still being a president and at times she has denied some things she has um she, you know she she doesn't buckle and just give in to sports and i think it's a great working relationship with everyone there right now and i think that's where it all starts um you know the culture of the place is funny i mean i think michigan state is much less of a quote unquote party school than it used to be yeah I think that's so just too. my sense yeah. being around here um 
Well, I, I don't like know if you guys. The, I don't know if students at Cedar Village would agree with you. They're still burning couches and stuff there, aren't they? When <laughs> when it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, well, look, yeah, I mean, it's it's not, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, Brandis or something now. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I think I am. I think I can safely say that if I want, and I was an out of state student, I was from Illinois, so they were a little bit more lenient because I think they wanted the extra revenue. But I think I can safely say I don't think I could get into Michigan State today. Oh, I couldn't have gotten in. I couldn't have gotten in today. No way. No, I couldn't. I couldn't either. No. Absolutely. No. So you know, they, they, you know, that's they've done a lot to improve a lot of things, improve the standards, things like that. It is a different place. It's going to be really interesting for me to watch from afar now and see. You know, if they can keep this going and if they can, you know, hire a replacement. I mean, what a horrible job oh, yeah. to try to to hire Izzo's replacement and also to be Izzo's replacement. You know, yeah. I mean you don't want to be the guy to follow Izzo, but yeah. but you know, can they can they make that transition and when Mark D'Antoni retires, what can they do there? I mean, how 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 long can they keep this going? But they said that about when Heathcote retired. How you know who wants to be Heathcote's replacement? He, national championship, Magic Johnson, beloved coach, uh, and I mean Izzo had tough shoes to fill, and you know he's he's far exceeded Heathcote's legacy. Yeah, no, I mean Judd Heathcote was a great coach, no doubt about it, and he had a really good run. And you know, once the move to Breslin happened, they had a lot of good teams. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking. I mean, with Tom Izzo, you're talking about. I mean, how many coaches in any sport have a have a more impressive resume in the state of Michigan? How many college basketball coaches have a better resume when he's done? I I, I think he, right now he's he's moving right there into being the best coach in Big Ten history. I mean, I think. If he can pass Bobby Knight, and I think if he can get another title, I yeah. think he he will undoubtedly be that. So that, that's it's amazing what they've done over these years. When you still consider the budget and how it compares to other places, including Ann Arbor, yeah. it's just a different. It's a smaller fan base. It's a smaller budget, um, and to do what they've done is remarkable. And then the question is: Is there a point where you do it for so long that you? can then sustain it but it, but it's it's still all about the people it is and the people in place right now are i mean they're extraordinary in both their own performance and then the way they work together one of the great things about living in the state of michigan is there's always that saturday in the fall where you drive on i-96 and every single car is either maize and blue or green and white heading to east lansing or ann arbor for that game i mean the the rivalry the in-state rivalry between ann arbor and east lansing is I think it's pretty unmatched across the country, at least in state. Maybe Florida, Florida State comes close, but aren't you going to miss that? I mean, aren't you going to miss being such an playing such an important role in in that rivalry between those two fan bases? Oh, I'm going to miss it a ton. It's so it's so great, and uh, you know it's funny. I think actually the way the schedule works out, the Titans are off that weekend, and I think we're going to be able to come up. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah, I've already looked at at that schedule, but yeah, it's uh, that's that day and that whole week is just such a blast, and and writing about it has been so fun. Um, and I'm with you. I, I, you know, even before Michigan State had this run against Michigan, I always believed that there was no loss close to um, a loss to Michigan State for Michigan. Now, yeah. yes, 
a win over Ohio State was more celebrated, but no loss hurt more than a loss to Michigan State. I mean, it's just natural. You you have to hear right. about it every day. Yeah. And you're in, in your office or wherever you are, you are going to hear about it every day. It's not it's in state stuff. It's just different. Yeah. And I know there's all that you know, you know, whatever. Not respecting the rivalry, all that talk. I mean, I, I do. I think over those years when Michigan State was mediocre, it was just like, okay, just get through Michigan State, just get past State, and move on to bigger things. Right. And- um. But still, the worst loss. But now. I don't think there's any question that, you know, next time Michigan beats Michigan State, it will be the most celebrated win of that season. You know, and it really will. I was a season ticket holder in 99, uh, Saban's last year, and he had a great team with Julian Peterson and Plaxico Burris. Bill Burke was a QB, and he put a bunch of people in the NFL. Michigan's team had Tom Brady. Anthony Thomas, David Terrell, and a bunch of other guys that made it to the NFL, too. That was one of the greatest college football games. I was lucky enough to be there. Michigan State won on the way. That's the year that they won the Citrus Bowl, Saban's last year. That was incredible. I've never seen anything that that awesome. And that was really the start of things, I think. I mean, I know Saban left. It was the end of something, but it was kind of the start of something, well, too. But I remember in, in the 89 season, the night when we uh... – uh, no, it was the Rose Bowl season. I'm sorry, the 87 season, the 88 Rose Bowl, Perlis's team, when we beat Michigan 17-11 to 11 in Spartan Stadium and we rushed the field. I mean, that was the one of the – maybe the biggest win of that season other than beating USC in the Rose Bowl. But, yeah, it's – I mean, the, Nash, the Ohio State-Michigan gets more national attention, but I think there's definitely more raw emotion for a Michigan resident uh, with those two schools. No, I agree. I mean, and gosh, his name is eluding me. I was at the – Big Ten officiating meetings, I think it was a couple years ago, the official who just retired, and I actually wrote about this, but, you know, I was just asking him, okay, so you, you've officiated all these games, and w- what's the most intense, and what is? And he's like, you know, Michigan-Ohio State, great game, it's the pageantry, it's a huge rivalry, very intense, but but it did not compare to the intensity and the, as you, I, I, he may have even used that term, but it was something like that, the raw emotion, the just hard hits. 60 minutes, Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan, Ohio State, he said, just did not compare to that. Yeah. And I agree. There is some real bitterness there. See, Michigan, Ohio State can sort of, you know, they can, they, they, they can agree to be, you know, great together. And, you know, this is going to be a great game and that's what they want. But Michigan wants no part of Michigan State being what it is right now. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes from. I think I think Harbaugh will never admit it, but that is his biggest goal: is to just bury Michigan State and 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 raise Michigan back to the top. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, he's going to have to, you know, he just he just has a much tougher job because of what Michigan State has become than his predecessors. Because you know, he's by the way, Urban Meyer's there too. He's got Mark and Urban Meyer. <laughs> that is the and, toughest and look, Harbaugh, neighborhood I mean, in college athletics. Yeah, I can't true. believe. Those three guys, not only do they coach in the same conference, they have to coach in the same division in the same conference. Do you think there's any uh, chance the Big Ten would break that up just for some uh, balance? Do you think that could ever happen? Yeah, you know, I think if there's another expansion, I could see it. I'd be surprised if it didn't happen. If, if, you know, if there's another expansion, I think at some point there probably will be. But I just don't, it doesn't look like it's imminent. So if, if there's no movement, I, I suppose if there were several years of them beating up on each other to the extent that the Big Ten is missing out on the playoff, then maybe you get the discussion going. 
if people emerge irregularly from that and get in the playoff, I think they'll they'll keep it how it is. I just think there's a danger in getting into a pattern where you're realigning every couple of years based on the natural ebb and flow of the success or failure of programs. I mean, you have to remember Penn State and Nebraska, you know, were powers for decades and suddenly they're you know they're an afterthought but if they were to return to prominence then do we rearrange so that they get a chance i mean it you can't rearrange every couple years uh based well, on like, and look at the sec it used to be the power was all, all with florida tennessee and the right. east right and yeah. now it's all in the west so yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you absolutely yeah. hey i want to ask you one sort of big question you know i don't know if you you listen to the podcast but we've sort of we have this theme going where we're we're talking to people who've made big big career decisions or had to leave uh, were forced to leave their previous career sort of in midlife and figure something else out uh and you know the digital economy has forced that on a lot of people and we've talked a lot about twitter there's a lot of social media aspect to what you do as you were making this change from a beat reporter to columnist and going from uh you know the midwest down i guess i guess you call it the south it is the south did you do you ever think about the future of newspapers and the business that you're in? And in ten years, what's it going to look like? And and where will you be? Yeah, I think about it a lot. And you know, I, I've <laughs> I've said more than once over the past several years. You know, well, you know, th- this has to stop somewhere. Or we or we have to um, get better at at um, you know at capitalizing on on what we do digitally and really we have, but I have a lot of uncertainty. Um, I do. And we talked about this earlier feel that, you know, sports is very important in terms of, uh, you know, your digital presence. And at this point, I mean, you know, sports has because of all this stuff is actually taken on, more prominence and some would say more than it should have right, you know, in right. newsrooms. Yep. Um, but being in sports, I'm okay with that because, um, you know, obviously you want to, you want to stay employed. Um, so I, I you, you said it earlier, there, there is a, an insatiable hunger right now for the information. It's a matter of, you know, kind of doing a better job of, um, you know, really dis- I think distinguishing ourselves, um, from, all the noise. I mean, the internet is, is a flat world and everyone's out there doing stuff, but we have to do it better, but to do it better, you have to have the resources to do it better. And, uh, so it's, it's that constant challenge of, um, you know, having enough to do the job well, but of course you're trying to do as much, you know, or do more with less, so to speak. So I want to be in, in newspapers. I, I believe in journalism. Um, I love journalism. I still go back to being at Michigan State and some of the things I learned in my first classes when I first started taking journalism classes and things still apply today. And it's important. It's important to people. It's important to have it. It's an important institution. And I hope that, you know, we figure something out. But I also know this, that, you know, we are moving toward a day when no one is going to be picking up a newspaper. And it's just where we're going so i agree with you i think what's no one will have a detroit free press land on their porch any longer but you know hopefully in some form there will be a detroit free press whether it's an app or a website you know whatever form it takes in the devices of the future right um but uh yeah those uh those days are gone 
the other thing we do before uh, before we cut people loose, we just fire a couple of questions at you that are kind of fun, and we uh, we enjoy putting you on the spot a little bit. So, first one I'm going to throw at you: if you could do anything in the world, knowing that you could not fail, what would you do? Oh, questions like these! I'm always so awful at these. <laughs> That's right. If there's you no th- right answer, if there's you, no right or wrong answer. And if you have to think about it, we'll edit out the time in between. <laughs> anything in the world, knowing that I cannot fail. Anything. Yeah. Don't say slam a basketball or anything boring like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would start a business. Um, you know, uh, actually, it's it's funny. My wife and I, you know, talked about. You know, there's a there's a particular coffee shop we really like up here that we don't have down there like you know we really might need to try to start a franchise but i know that's kind of boring but i i would go into business for myself and and try to take a stab at that yeah i like that that's good but looking back on where you you've been and where you're headed to uh are you happy is there any regrets or anything like that that come to mind i mean you you've, you've chase dreams and you've done the done the, the the hard work and all that stuff but um you know when you think back on where you're at now you, are you genuinely happy you know i i am i really am and and it's hard to it's hard to you know get there sometimes when you're worried about you know things like selling a house and you know and like not seeing your kids for several weeks which is about to happen for me but i i'm I absolutely loved everything I did covering Michigan State, and I I loved the idea of this new challenge and being a columnist and you know bouncing around and going to different teams and and just you know I think to, in journalism you you need to be really curious and you need to want to go out there and find things out and um, and I just I love doing it so uh, I mean no matter everything else that happens. Uh, it's just the bottom line is every single day I'm excited to do it. So ultimately, yes. You're lucky. Yeah, that's true. If you were to pick one song that sort of represents growing up or your childhood, what song would that be? (laughs) Man. Well, it's funny. (laughs) So, you know, we've been going through all these old CDs and uh, I found like a 1975 hit CD, which has, Captain and Tennille, love will keep us together. Now, I, I'm not saying that's my song, but I have forced my kids to listen to that song oh, because man. of it. Oh man, they hate me so much. But uh, um, the, the captain with his hat, and his, yeah, and right. his glasses. And he, I loved that. Yeah, I remember the TV show. It was amazing. Yeah, that's that's right. a great song to get you guys through this kind of tough transition period, kind of a stressful <laughs> thing, managing the move, driving the kids down to Nashville. I see no reason why you shouldn't pop that in the in the CD player in the car and listen to it over and over Well, we over did a few again. times. And uh, <laughs> actually, my eight-year-old kind of likes it now. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll go with that. That's yeah, a good one. Good, one. We, we good like, as any. We like that one. Hey, yeah. so so what uh, we're looking for you as a columnist, the Nashville Tennessean, right? I'm saying that right? Yes. And yep. uh, when do you start? When's your first column? I start Monday. Wow. Oh, we wow. caught you just in time. Awesome. Yep. So I'm 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 going to the Michigan State spring game with my family Saturday. I'm driving to Nashville Sunday, and I start Monday. Wow. Well, wow. Well, as have, a fan or or as uh, doing it for a job, then that's no, just, just going to go hang out. My kid's going to do the clinic oh, and the, the whole thing. That's cool. I want to give you a chance too to, to to plug your. You said you're writing a book. What's what? What can we look for there? Yes, uh, Jack Ebling. It was Jack Ebling's idea. Jack Ebling and I are writing a book. It's called uh, 
perfect 10. The bottom line is it's, uh, it's about Michigan State football, but focused on the play, the 10 seconds and, mm. you know, the play at Michigan, which, you know, beyond Michigan State, beyond Michigan, beyond the Big Ten, a play that is going to always be I – mean, it's going to be like Cal Stanford in 1982, you know. Yep. It's, it's an iconic play in college football history starting, you know, starting last fall. And so a lot of it is about the program, the season, the people in the program, but a heavy focus on that play. And the thing that I think is really cool, you know, we're doing a separate chapter on each – of the kids who was involved in that play. And, you know, of course, a lot of them are just guys you, you people hadn't heard of at all before that play. So it'll be, uh, working, working hard on it now and it should be out this summer and pretty excited about it. The poor kid who got hurt. I'm sorry. His name escapes me, but is he doing okay? Does anyone know? Is he, uh, recovering? Yeah. In fact, I just saw him at the football building the other day, Jalen Watts Jackson. And yeah, he's moving around, has no, Restriction, so I think he should be good to play in the fall. Nice. Oh, awesome. Good for him. Well, I, I have a feeling uh, Chris and I and probably a lot of people around Michigan are going to read a lot more information about the Tennessee Volunteers and the Titans and Vanderbilt and the Predators and, and all the teams down there than we ever did before just because you're uh, you're covering them. So that's that's a huge, huge tribute to you and what you meant to the state of Michigan and the Michigan State fans. So we're going to miss you. Man, that's what I was really nice of you to say. You, and you, thank really, you, for you all don't your need to write and... read my Preds column, but but I'll. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the Predators maybe we'll skip, but you know if you're talking college football and the Volunteers and what I know, you got Bryce Drew coming down there for Vanderbilt, right? That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. So and you live in a great city. I mean, that's going to be a fun. Nashville is a great city. I mean, you're going to have a a fun time culturally speaking. I'm assuming you have a few days here and there to enjoy it. So that should be a fun experience. And, and we're going to be looking on the uh, on the internet for the first picture of you in cowboy boots. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And we, Chris and I, both really appreciate you taking the time out during such a crazy time. I know, uh, you know, from personal experience, selling a house, moving career transition all that stuff is nuts so really cool of you to do it for us well thanks so much for having me and i really appreciate it all right thank you joe and hey thanks joe go green go white joe rex road on his way to nashville tennessee that's going to do it for us remember email chris and chris mg at gmail.com send us your comments or criticisms your complaints whatever you got we want to hear it have a good week he